You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Tell me about yourself. Like this is our first date and we never had sex before you knew my name. You mean the recap of major life events told in a humorous and self-deprecating way which almost always gets me laid? No. Why not? I'm not that guy with you. Who are you? I don't know, somebody new. It's because of your father. You were with me at your most vulnerable. You felt comfortable. You felt really accepted. You always analyze guys on the first date? Only if they're interesting. Oh, so you think I'm interested? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't meet that many men with dead guys with hard-ons in their car. From WALT-FM, you're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts, a companion podcast to the HBO series Six Feet Under. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Adrian Bain. Sam Dingman. We are about to watch Mm -hmm. season one, episode two of Six Feet Under. Here's my question for you. As we prepare to watch the second episode, I'm wondering... Should I be stretching? What... Yeah, limber up. This is going to be an active viewing. I'm really deep in this chair right now, though. That's actually the best possible skill for watching a TV show. Mm. I've gotten so good at that. I should... Why? Have you been inside a lot recently? What's going on? Yeah, I don't get out much these days. Kind mm. of all year. Spending, are you spending that time with anybody special? Uh, how do you define special? Why would I walk into this one? <laughs> Why would I do that to myself? Okay. Here's I will my portray question. no affection towards you this entire time. Oh, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. <laughs> What sticks with you from the first episode? Okay. Honestly. Nothing. <laughs> okay, Wait, good. what are we watching? No. <laughs> Honestly, okay, this is, the first thing is a super shallow thing, so don't judge me. But you can judge me. I don't. The, the listeners will take care of that. The, I thought about the airport hook up and how bad her haircut is but also this is like 2020 standards granted i've been cutting my own hair all year so i really can't judge anyone else's haircut professionally or done by their own hand um true story but dear it listener, is like when adrian first saw brenda on the screen her comment was she is from the 90s yeah she's from it's like so and i think that's just something that i'm trying to get over is this is so superficial. Judge me all you want. Just the quality is like, oh, I can tell that this is dated. And I notice that my own brain is mildly resistant to watching anything that doesn't seem to be super sleek and cinemata- cinematic, cinematic and <laughs> super sleek, unlike that phrase you just uttered. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just nonsense, though. That's just my own brain being annoying. 
Um, so okay, what I'm taking but, away but so far is wise. emotionally revelatory experience for Sam, uh, Adrian, some concerns about the hairstyles and wardrobe. Yeah, aesthetic is like a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I would also say I remember some things being a little heavy-handed and really enjoying David's romantic life. And I like Claire, too. Um, mm-hmm. And the mom overwhelms me. I'm not emotionally hooked in with... Who's the brother from Seattle? Nate. I'm not emotionally hooked in with Nate. I think We spent the whole first episode talking about how emotionally... But this is me a week later, and it's like what resonated with me. And part mm-hmm. of me... Part of me is a little tired of watching so many white dudes be the protagonist. No offense, fellow white dude. Who is the protagonist in my life? But <laughs> so I think part of me is like, oh, another white dude, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's a very 2020 mindset, right? So I'm keeping that all in check. I mean, it is definitely true. I think probably that we should have all been saying to ourselves, "Ugh, another story about mostly white people" in 2001 when this was released. But that's definitely more of a conversation now than. It was then. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much of a conversation it was back then. I, do I just wonder... don't think, I don't know if we had, if the if the language had caught up to the mainstream the way that it has today. I'm sure there were conversations about it, but now it's so in every other article, you know? I do wonder, and I suppose we could look this up, how much, if any praise six feet under got for at the time having two not main characters but prominent characters who were people of color federico and keith right i mean i don't know if the praise would have been from ostensibly white tv critics you know being like oh good job six feet under Mm -hmm. you filled your diversity quota you know so yeah i mean I don't know, but I would not be surprised if, you know, a lot of times in the conversations about this stuff now, one of the things that gets talked about is not just are the characters people of color, but are the people rendering those characters, the writers, directors, also people of color who are sensitive to the need for represent, not just representation, but accurate representation informed by lived experience. And I will say, I do feel like, and this will unfold over the course of the time we are watching it, one of the things that I think is cool, kind of like we talked about last week with David's character, is that David's homosexuality is part of his character, but it's not the story of David's character. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that extends to Federico and Keith as well, Mm -hmm. where their race is a part of the story that is told about both characters, but it is not their only character trait. Right. And I'm almost curious if they were intentionally written to be people of color or if the actors were just so good and the casting crew was like, this is the person that we want and we don't really care so much as to what their ethnicity is. And hopefully based off of that, they wrote an accurate depiction of what it was like to be a queer cop or what it was like to be 
I don't know, what does he do? I don't know, working with he, working with dead people's faces. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, corpse artist? Yeah, let's call him a corpse artist. That's really how he sees it, you know? Now, having just had this whole conversation about diversity and representation in the show, I think th- what I am bringing to this is great excitement about watching the second episode because I have not seen the show in so long that while I remembered the things that happened in the pilot because it's where the whole story begins, it's the inciting incident of everything, my next memory of what happens in this show is probably from somewhere in season three. I have no idea what's about to happen in the episode that we're going to watch. And... I assume I'll be hearing a lot of, oh, yeah, throughout our watching. <laughs> oh, it is that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember, remember this part. Um, you know how I talk in a Brooklyn accent whenever we watch TV shows. Yeah. Cool. I just wanted to make sure you hadn't forgotten. Um, but I don't see a problem. <laughs> good, because I'm going to do it. Fuck the clips then, Jane. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, it, that was just interesting to me to remember that this is ostensibly one of my favorite shows, one of the most influential pieces of art in my entire life. And yet what I basically am realizing I have carried with me from the experience of seeing it the first time is not the actual story, but rather the way it made me feel, generally speaking, and the broad emotional purview of what they were doing. As to what actually happens, I have no memory of it. Why are you talking to me? You think I'm a jerk? Yes. No, you're different now. You can see through walls. Uh huh. Don't your skanks need to be walked? I want to see you. Okay, Adrian, I have a number of questions for you. You mentioned. At the beginning of the show, the feeling that in the first episode, there were some things that were a little on the nose. Mm. How did you feel about the scene in this episode where Nate and Brenda were in bed and Brenda put her hand over Nate's heart and said, you should really get that looked at. It's going to start bleeding. (laughs) Brenda annoys me. It is just constant psychoanalyzing and I feel like she's like let me psychoanalyze you so you don't have to get to know me and I can still have these walls around me you don't find that interesting because there's find that to be annoying gonna be a lot of that (laughs) I find that I don't know for whatever reason it like truly bothers me Hmm. because I she's not being like a genuine person she's not like hey you're a cool guy. I authentically want to understand and get to know you. And like, there's no vulnerability on her part. It doesn't make you wonder what vulnerability she's covering up by. Oh, it totally does. Constantly trying to figure out what everybody else's is. And we've kind of, she alluded to that in the first episode. And we see that with her 
manic depressive brother and her like seemingly hostile parents. So like I get it. I don't know. There's just something like not pretentious, but vastly inauthentic that I just I can't deal with in character or real people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Wait, what, what's the inauthentic part? Just like she's not being real with him. Yeah. So what I think is interesting about that is Nate has done such a good job, even in just the first two episodes. He's like this master reader of other people's emotions. He's a high empath. I see this more now in this episode. But he is not picking up on whatever game she's running on him. Yeah, because women operate on a higher mental level. Oh, I see. <laughs> Always. You don't know how many games I have <laughs> pawned you in, Dingman. I've got uh-huh. multiple. I'm running multiple at the same time. Right. As we speak right now. Yeah. This is all the, it doing this podcast. Year, it started when we started dating. It's started a year ago. Doing this podcast is in service of some larger scheme that you have going. I'm not going to tell you that. I can neither confirm or deny. You, you kind of just did. <laughs> Wait, but. I do think that's interesting that, I mean, he says in this episode, they go on their quote unquote first official date and he looks up at her and says, do you psychoanalyze all guys on the first date or whatever it is? But it's like he just noticed it when it was obvious to you from the second you saw Brenda. Well, yeah, but also like I am an omniscient viewer of their relationship, like I've definitely, I don't want to say fallen victim to, but like have been engrossed in my own life and all the chaos that has happened in my own life that I haven't picked up on people's personality traits that I don't totally jive with. Or I just think that like when you're in it, you're like it too close to it, especially if you're having sex with them. But if they're sucking your dick, it's way harder to see clearly. Your eyes are half open the whole time. (laughs) I think he's like a chew toy and maybe she mm. does want to get to know him better. She clearly has relationship ghosts of the past burned into her skin. And I think she's like, oh, this guy's a fun distraction from my own insanity and my own family nonsense. And it's more fun to be a part of his stuff because she's not emotionally attached yet. Will she become emotionally attached? Probably. So that's as serious as you think she is right now? Yeah, I think she likes the attention. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm projecting. But like, I don't see, I see Nate being like, this chick is cool. I don't see him putting in like a lot of thought. And also both of them are just, in this moment, are using each other as an escape from their own families. And like not, they also have not put any, labels or definitions on what their relationship is he might go back to seattle so like they're both just like well you're a fun fuck boy fuck girl for now well that's the other thing i mean i guess that's that's the other piece of this to me is it is not clear to me this early in the series how nate feels about her no and I guess it it just underscores the fact that he so clearly can't get a read on her in a way that he can get a read on everybody else. And yet he keeps taking her calls Mm -hmm. and he keeps 
showing up at the drop of a hat whenever she calls and says, come have a glass of wine with me right now. Come get on this bus. That's the same bus that hit your dad right now. Yeah. What a fucking move, man. That's a move. That's a move. I don't, I don't even know. I've dated you for a year. I don't think I would do that to you. Like, that's her also. I don't know. I feel like that's just her, like, playing. Yeah. Can I say, I'm glad you would not do that to me. Yeah. That would be a wildly insensitive thing to do. That's really negligent, especially given that they've hung out no more than five times. And she's like, bring your brother. Like, fuck off. You don't know. You are not allowed to dictate how other people grieve, and then you can just observe it. And- the way that it was shot, you know, we're very, you know, David does have this, like, breakdown. Or at least he, like, lets his guard down and allows himself to grieve. And so she's very lucky that it worked. Obviously, the writers allowed that to. But I feel like the human error on that one was really. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's the thing to me is what is the reason that Nate keeps saying yes to her when he can draw other people out so organically and he does not yet seem to know why he's saying yes to her. And I don't feel like the series has given us any insight into that yet. Totally. I think it is because it is the reverse. Like, he doesn't have to hold her emotional baggage at all. She doesn't let him. She's like, I'm going to carry my own bags. Thank you. And she pulls out some of that emotional baggage for him, which I think he's like, this is kind of a relief because no one else holds my baggage. And I think part of it is, like, the rest of his family is not, like, emotionally mature and they still have really no, hostile. No, they are not. They still have really hostile dynamics with each other. Like very un. I think one thing I'm really noticing about the family dynamic is how unloving it is. And maybe that is because of how the father was. But um, I will say, as annoying as she is, she is not basic. She is not some vapid. Ah, uh, no, no. Like. I can't put two things together kind of a girl. Mm -hmm. Like she is a very thinks deeper than surface level. One might say she thinks six feet under. There it is. There it is. (sighs) One per episode, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to weasel it into a different scenario. I have complete faith in you. Let me go back to what you just said about the dad because I didn't think about this until you just mentioned it. But there is this odd thing with the dad where everybody keeps talking about what a manipulator he was. Yeah. They go to, Nate goes to visit his grave and Nathaniel Sr. appears to him while he's there. He calls him sadist and mindfucker and all this stuff. Yeah, an introvert. Introvert. Um, David talks about how nobody knew him. Nobody could possibly know him. Right. Claire says that he's blackmailing her from beyond the grave. And yet, all of the flashbacks we have seen of the father, for the most part, are very loving, very compassionate, maybe a little awkward sometimes, but it's not as though he, and and tone deaf, certainly, like in the first scene, he says to David and Keith, which one's the wife? Right. You know, 
so that's obviously not a cool thing to say, but the he's impression not- that comes across is not that he's an emotionally unavailable monster. And yet there is such deep rooted dysfunction right. with his surviving family. So what do you make of that disconnect? Do you think it's a disconnect? I don't know. The flashbacks that we've gotten, are they loving? We see him with the hose yeah, in the, the front Yeah, the hose yard. one is very cute. He's He says to Nate when he's a little boy, you can touch him if you want, which I don't think is him trying to mess with his head. I think it's just, look what your dad does for a living. Right, right, right. He's literally reaching out that, to him. I don't think that any of the posthumous hallucinations have been loving. I think they've been neutral. And they've been more of a projection of the person who is seeing him in that moment. I wouldn't say that they're loving. It's very similar to Succession where the father is very MIA, exists in the world that is Mm -hmm. created, but so MIA. And there is a whole like cult of personality around him. Right. He's in every scene, even if he's not in every scene. Exactly. And he's in every scene by how we see them interact with each other. And it's not loving. What was the original question? Well, do you think there's a disconnect between the way that the the dysfunction that the family has with each other and the way that Nathaniel Sr. is portrayed? Because I will say something that's happening for me watching it this second time is that I remembered the family members' perception of Nathaniel Sr. as absent, bizarre, emotionally unavailable, Mm -hmm. hateful, cutting, unreliable, all of these things. I remembered that as accurate. Mm -hmm. But so far, through the first two episodes, I think the father that is shown in the flashbacks is caring, effortful, Hmm. attempting to connect all the time understanding in his own way of who each of them are you know he says to ruth in the first episode when she's in the mirror i know everything ruth i know everything and he doesn't call her a whore the way she calls herself a whore right it's almost well actually maybe i just answered my own question it's almost like in the flashbacks he's seeing them the way they see themselves or something i think that Well, first of all, I think when people die, we choose to think of the better parts of them. Like, Mm. that's a totally, we don't, even at funerals, we do not slander people's names. Like, we have a culture of, if they have deceased, and it's very recent, it's really rude to say the negative things about them, even if they were like the worst people, right. you know? So I think that part of it is like, it's well reflected that the way that he appears in their minds, because he, I see him as a projection. I don't see him as a character. I see him as like a an embodied thought that this that whoever is projecting him is having. So it's very much in a line of like, well, I'm not going to remember the bad parts about him. And also our brain's, Like, they wipe out the negative, you know? And I think it's much more of a projection of that person. 
And like, I don't think that there is this heaven in this world where all of a sudden the husband knows. I think that that was Ruth's moment to be like. She sees herself. She sees herself. And you know, actually, now that we're saying this, I I talked about that awkward moment at the very beginning of this episode where the father sees Keith and David in bed and asks which one of them is the wife, which is obviously an absurdly out-of-touch way of talking about a homosexual relationship. Yeah. Except that then later in the episode, David is reunited with his ex-fiancee, Jennifer, Mm -hmm. who's a woman, Mm -hmm. and suggests to her that they go have sex. So Hmm. in that moment with the father at the beginning, was that David remembering the intolerance or unwillingness to understand of his father? Or was that David seeing his own inability to reckon with what kind of relationship he seems to want. Yeah, I think the latter. Yeah, I think it was the latter. I think we've re- we've really had a breakthrough here we've in really the early had... going of the podcast. And Adrian. also, I think that that in 2001 language... But the person who wrote this is very much in tune with homosexuality mm-hmm. and the way that people who are actually homosexual talk to each other. I know at the first part of this, we were talking about the idea that he might have been a little out of touch in certain ways, mm-hmm. but I believe Alan Ball is himself a gay man. Mm. Um, so it, that wasn't... I think that scene was written more intentionally in the way that we were just talking than really? just the best he could do in 2001. I want to think about that one. Because I feel like back then we were still trying to fit homosexuality in the context of heterosexuality. I think heterosexual people were trying to do that. Heterosexual people were trying to do that. Yes, yes, yes. But that line was not written. Well, I guess Alan Ball didn't write this episode, but But he approved every word in the script. That's true. And it also would have been, I'm assuming what the, how the dad like would have thought about it is like the dad is like, I've been in a heterosexual relationship for 30 plus years I can only understand relationships this way. So I feel like the line is probably written best for Yeah, it is in the father's voice. It's something the father would probably say. Yeah. But what we've just been discussing, I think, is an interesting idea that it's not just the father's voice there, it's David's voice. No, totally. And that there is supposed to be Do you think he's still struggling with his homosexuality? That's well, the only reason why I'd be like because my my question is is like well how up to date is David on his queer literature? You know like that's <laughs> that's why I'm like I don't think that I think that the sentence could be in David's voice too because I don't know how yeah tuned in he is to gay culture because like if he had proposed he to was a until woman, recently affianced a, a fiance to, to a, a lady lady like i don't think that he's reading audrey lord and who else would have been like a big queer queer writer of the time like judith butler i know but these are all women not that they wouldn't have i just oh, I don't oh, know who, oh. but I, I feel like i only know queer lady writers but that's fine so right so he wouldn't be reading the most recent judith butler and she did write about like the iraq war for a long time too so it's like confusing she um, did yeah she wrote a lot about you know, she's written a lot about like the Middle East and American conflicts there. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Judith Butler. Judith Butler. Contains multitudes. Not messing around. Nope. Mm-hmm. 
Anyways. I'm now imagining Judith Butler somehow hearing this podcast and hearing herself described as not messing around and being like, bitch. That's an (laughs) understatement. I know. Judith Butler has totally messed around. So. Okay. So, So this idea of David having been engaged to a woman until somewhat recently. I had completely forgotten about that. Mm. What did you think when that information was revealed? Did you find it surprising? Did, just because I'm asking because you have already locked on so quickly to the relationship between him and Keith. It's because Keith is like the best character. <laughs> I think Keith is my favorite. I think Keith deserves so much better than David. I don't know why he's fucking around with David. Well, you just raised something kind of interesting, right? Which is Brenda clearly views Nate as a project. Keith clearly views David as a project. Does he view? I think Keith's emotions are very much on his sleeve. I think for whatever reason, he's very attracted to David's extreme uptightness and rigor. And like, if I could peg it, I would say that David is an ultra Capricorn, um, just so work centered and robotic and ugh. Right, so my best <laughs> friends are Capricorns. I love them. But wait, but I also have to say that while you did not psychoanalyze me on our first date, you did. Yeah, you don't know that. As <laughs> are you Fair. kidding me? I mean, to my face, you didn't. I got you to divulge some pretty juicy things okay that's true that's true first date fair but i didn't feel like i was being psychoanalyzed yeah that's the point baby but you did read my chart (laughs) (laughs) wait on our first date oh yes no i didn't one (laughs) hundred percent the phrase textbook taurus was uttered and i wasn't the one who said it (laughs) oh god i'm such a white woman i'm sorry (laughs) Or just a woman who plays way too much time on now I know. Instagram. Now I know why why Brenda irks you so much. She's a mirror. Yeah, she's probably a Pisces. <laughs> I don't like other Pisces most times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you have too many feelings. I don't know what Brenda is yet. Antimatter. If you guys shook hands, you would both disappear it in a tremendous flash of light. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that Adrian way. Adrian keeps trying to tell me that I don't know how antimatter works. You don't. And I keep saying... I know all about antimatter because I've heard it described in a lyric by one jam band that I liked in high school, and that means I have a total understanding of it. You're going to cut this part out, right? Because it's embarrassing. <laughs> no, I think uh, I'll just loop this and make it the whole episode. Okay, wait. What was the what was the question? The question for, was, were oh. you surprised by David's, the fact that David had been engaged to a woman? Not really, Mainly because she, the woman Jennifer, kind of called it out where she was like, you've always been concerned with other people's happiness. And I'm sure that we don't know if his father was tolerant of homosexuality. We don't know if, what what his mom's feelings are. But I think David probably thought for a long time, oh, I have these feelings that are homoerotic. But I don't know if my family will be happy with that. Therefore, I will find a way to make them happy. So I can't say that he feel he seems more relaxed because that's a state we've never seen David in. So I can't tell if he's 
more relaxed with Keith and feels like he's more of himself. Um, so I don't know. It doesn't really surprise me. He's not even himself. Like he can't even be honest with Keith when he's drunk and shows up at his door. I know. Ugh, I know. I just also want to point out that I love that in that scene when Keith answers the door, Keith, who already is a black man and a cop, both cultures that we do not typically associate with being as tolerant of homosexuality. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, Keith, ever containing multitudes, is very clearly listening to some kind of sports match yeah. when he opens the door, which totally I love because it's not mentioned that he's watching sports. It's just a detail, a layer that's there to deepen his character. I just like imagining the moment when whoever was doing the sound editing for this was like, I'm going to put that in when Keith opens the door. Okay, nerd. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know, but I'm attracted to you, so. Oh, good, good. Um, Okay. I also want to talk to you about Gabriel, who clearly sets your teeth on edge. Ugh! Makes your skin crawl. Okay, I did not like him in the beginning for obvious reasons because he was like, hey, Claire, would you do some crystal? <laughs> like, what the fuck kind of an introduction to a character is that? But Adrian, it just makes everything burn a little brighter. Oh, my God. Do you have some? <laughs> okay. So then he's all of a sudden like, oh, I'm so interested in you having a personality. <laughs> What's that like? What's that like? <laughs> no, exactly. Like, we don't really see his personality. He's just more fascinated with... And I do think that Claire does have a personality. She's like, I've got my opinions. I'm trying to figure my life out. I've got something in me, and I want it to... I don't know what it is yet, but it'll happen. I don't know. I don't really know what his deal is, because the only dialogue we've really had is like, you, you want a bone? Or he's like, no one else can be as you as you. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. But that's the other thing you said to me on our first date. I know, sweetie. (laughs) No one else can be as you as you. Look into my eyes. Maintain eye contact when I say this. And then I asked you to kiss my toe. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did in the middle of the bar. Um, (laughs) Speaking of the hearse scene, Mm, well, and kissing toes, um, one thing that you noticed in that scene that I... I thought was really interesting is that they're sitting in the back of the hearse and they're each leaning against the walls of the side of the hearse and you see these these branches they're like going out in, on either side of yeah. their shoulders that look like wings. And when you said that, I couldn't help noticing that Gabriel is named after an angel. Yeah. And in this episode, he's being sort of presented as Claire's savior. I know. I guess it's like... As soon as that sentence was out of my mouth, can I just say, I felt like like a frat guy who just had his first thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I want to lean into this too much, but... Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would say savior. I think also like distraction. Mm-hmm. I think that all of the siblings have found a romantic distraction that isn't as chaotic or toxic as their the family life that they have to go home to every day and we should say here at this juncture gabriel also views claire as a project yeah i think he definitely observes her and he's He's like trying to figure her out look at you be so funny and have 
thinking thoughts, <laughs> you know, like it looks as though and they literally pan to these blonde girls who like have big tits that these are the other women that he's hanging out with and he likes whatever intellectual stimulation or like counterculture. Yeah. Claire is into. It's also making her remember that when he comes up to her the first time and tries to ask her out um, and she says she can't go or she doesn't want to go because she's worried about getting made fun of, he walks away from the car and he turns around and he says to her, I want to see you. Not like I want to hang out with you, like I want to see you. Yeah. And she seems to notice that he used that phrase. Yeah. See you as in... Like I see you. See into you, like see past the boundaries that you have up. Yeah, but we still don't really know what he's all about. True. Um, okay, when Gilardi comes up to one of the fi- the fishers, mm-hmm. I think it's... Oh, Mike from Twin Peaks? Mike from Twin Peaks comes up to... Who is in a sexually abusive relationship with a woman who was like 20 years older than him. Yes, and had um, Titan strength. Yeah. That that was in Twin Peaks for those of you who haven't seen both shows. In case you're worried, we watched some we kind watched of weird instead. director's cut where there was a whole Gilardi subplot. This <laughs> <laughs> is a del- ridiculous collection of syllables. Okay. Um, he says to one of them at some point, "Croner is a family of death care services," and I do think it is interesting that. Croner is attempting to streamline the operations of a large and unwieldy family, whereas the Fishers are a family that is coming apart at the seams because of a death. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that family terminology is being purposely invoked by Gilardi in that moment. Yeah, definitely. But also, like, I think that the terms that are used around the business of death have to be very delicate and intentional because it's fucking creepy what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. So in, in the scene that you were describing that, that you had a visceral negative reaction to where David is talking to the widow of the guy who runs the pyramid scheme, he refers to the coffin as a resting vessel. Yeah, gross. So yeah, so I think that the language in itself is very particular and creepy but what you're saying makes me feel a little more confident that we're onto something in terms of thinking about how carefully certain lines of dialogue are chosen whether it's gabriel saying i see you or nathaniel senior asking which one is the wife in the opening scene what you're flagging which is the carefulness of language in the funeral business I think that value is replicated in the way the dialogue is written in the actual series. Like, they're as careful about the words they use as a funeral director would be. Right, but we don't really get a sense that Nathaniel Sr. was very delicate with his language. And I'm sure he was, but I would that is yet to be proven. And we see that David is, he knows how to deliver it, but he doesn't know how to, like, really mean it. You know, he doesn't know how to do it with heart. Where the way, like, Nate Jr., he can deliver something with real heart in it, but he'll typically say the wrong thing. Yes, or illegally sell somebody a coffin that has a little bit of 
seepage in it. Okay, the last thing I want to uh, raise with you Mm. is in our first episode, I suggested to you that Claire was going to be your favorite character. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of right. I don't understand why you think I would enjoy a sassy female character. (laughs) Call it a hunch. But one of the things I find interesting is that you... You not only seem to resonate with her emotional reality in the story, you also feel, you you said while we were watching that you feel like she's well-written. Like her inner state, the things she says, the way she behaves and reacts to things is well-defined. What makes you feel that way? Okay, so I come from a family of three siblings. I am the eldest I have two younger sisters, and there are parts of me where I see Jessica, my youngest sister, because, and I there are parts where I relate with Nate because as the eldest, I'm a bumbling, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. <laughs> Let me move around the world. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want because my parents really had a question mark over me the whole time. Like I was a little guinea pig. And then the middle child is like, I'm not going to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take like a really practical approach, which my middle sister has done. But also I think she wanted very different things in her life. And she's very happy with all those choices that she's made. And then my youngest sister is just like, youngest siblings just seem to know what the fuck is up so much faster because they have one, two, three other perspectives Literally right. looking down at them and telling them what the fuck is going on. Right. So Jessica, I feel like, and they can up also on... look up and say, "Don't do it that way. Don't do it that way." Exactly. The answer is somewhere in the middle of these two. No, exactly. So I feel like Claire has that mentality of like, it's just it's just a maturity. I feel like Nate is a little bit like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna catch whatever the wind throws at me. Mm-hmm. And the youngest is definitely like. I get it. I still don't know what I want to do, but I get it. Yeah, so I just, I noticed that where I was like, Claire is definitely the youngest because she knows what's up faster than people her own age. That's the difference. Like, she's way more mature than Gabriel. And that's not to say women do mature faster than men. Do you want to get donuts later? Is Peter Pan still open? <laughs> Ooh, did not expect that to work. <laughs> um so that was my imitation of an immature person somebody who likes donuts at night i you, derailed you i'm sorry you can work on that character development a little bit more okay <laughs> you just sound like a cookie monster donuts and beer <laughs> no but i get what you mean i get i get what you mean like claire has a very her barometer for bullshit is is very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. And and she, just to go back to Gabriel for a second, she seems to see... She sees his bullshit something, barometer. She sees that, but she but also she sees just, that there's something else going on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Last thing I want to go back to, uh, just talking about David and his sort of unresolved relationship with, not necessarily his sexuality, I don't think, but the role that he feels his sexuality is supposed to play in his life. Mm-hmm. A little detail that I loved in this is that when he's out with Jennifer, she says, I was so, I I laughed. She says something like, I laughed when I saw that you still had our engagement picture on the mantle. 
So, like, clearly their engagement is over. Yeah. Who's that picture up for? Totally. He hasn't seen fit to take it down. And whether that's to keep up appearances for people who come to the funeral home or whether it was for his parents' benefit because he hasn't told them yet. But it also seems to be doing something for him. Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. Because who is that for? Who's that for? I mean, that's not to say that he probably didn't love her. I'm sure he did. But... David is clearly somebody who loves. Like, he's not cut off from his capacity for love. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing we learned in that last scene on the bus. Yeah, that he loved his father. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't necessarily feel seen by his father, Mm -hmm. but he loved him. Well, folks, that's all the time we have on this episode of Fisher Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Thank you for listening to our show. Hey, did you know that this is not the only podcast that either Adrian or I hosts? Well, it isn't. <laughs> Adrian, I have news for you. You have a whole other show that you do. I do? Yes. I think it's called Strangers Abroad. Mm-hmm. Which is a narrative travel podcast. Don't say that like you don't believe in the mission. I know I do. It's a... I just haven't talked about it in very long. It's an awesome narrative travel podcast that you, dear listener, who clearly appreciate good storytelling, would enjoy. Thank you. And you should look it up. I have a podcast. It's called Donuts and Beer. (laughs) No, it's called Family Ghosts. And you should listen to that one, too, if you like stories about unresolved family trauma (laughs) I said that like I'm not invested in my own concept see it's hard to talk about your work it really is if you would like to talk to us about the work that we're doing on this podcast or the work that you are doing watching the show yourself you should send us an email at ffg at walt dot fm maybe we'll read it on the show yeah little listener engagement we won't break that engagement like David did. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, time to go. <laughs> if you meet someone from another planet and he holds out his left hand, don't shake it. He might be made of envy matter. You would both disappear in a tremendous flash of light. 